Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. We're in Genesis chapter uh, 25 today. And I want to warn you up front, I've been gone a couple weeks. Um, It was a very good uh, vacation, a good time away with my family, and we had a lot of fun. Um, And I really appreciate uh, Lyndon and Warren filling in preaching while I was gone. Um, But that means that uh, I've got a couple weeks worth of preaching pent up in me. Um, So so just be ready for it today. and we're going to do a lot of Bible, okay? Is that okay? Can you guys handle Bible? Like, like we're going to do a lot of Bible today. Um, we're, we're starting here in Genesis, but we're going to end up all the way in Revelation. And if you're not a Bible scholar, um, that means that we're starting in the first book and we're going all the way to the last book, all right? So uh, we're, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Uh, but we're starting in Genesis chapter 25. And uh, I'll go ahead and, and read that now. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keterah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashram, Leshishim, and Lemuin. And all right now you're saying, man, this is a great Easter passage. <laughs> I know it is. Um, the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hena, Aba, um, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Now, this is a very weird passage, right? Because so much of scripture talks all about uh, Abraham and his only son Isaac, the, the son of promise Isaac, which was his only son through Sarah, his wife. And then all of a sudden, after Sarah's death, we have this passage here about Keturah and her kids. And with Abraham, it's like, okay, what do we do with that? Um, and if you're like, well, maybe this is just kind of mixed up. Well, no, over in First Chronicles, it repeats um, this information about Keturah and who she is and her kids. And, um, but what, the main thing we can see from this is that even in having these other kids, Abraham still knew that the promises that God had made to him related to Isaac and that the promises for the future were to come through Isaac. And it was through Isaac, ultimately, that Jesus came. And that's where ultimately all of those promises are fulfilled. And so as we look at, at Easter Sunday and we're looking at this and, and Abraham having all these other kids and we can say, well, this doesn't seem very fair. Like Isaac inherits everything and everybody else is like, hey, here's a gift. Go away. Um, like that's basically what he does with his kids, right? He's like, here's you a gift. Don't move. Um, and we can be like, that doesn't seem right. But in the end, that seems to have been God's plan because God's plan was to bless the world through Isaac. And that happened through Jesus Christ and ultimately what he did on Good Friday, dying on the cross and on Easter Sunday, raising from the dead. The passage goes on. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. That's an old man. And he was still popping out kids. 
Like, hey, yeah, that's, that's pre-Viagra, people. So, Abraham breathed his life. Sorry, probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway. That's why we let the kids go to the back. Abraham breathed his last and died in good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. Now after the death of Abraham... God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahimah Roy. All right? Um, and so here we see Abraham ultimately passing away. And we don't know really what happened other than he died in a good old age. He was an old man full of years. And what, I mean, what a great epitaph, right? He, he died in a good old age. I think that's what we kind of... A lot of us would like to have happen. We're like, you know, if I could just, you know, just not have any chronic illnesses, not have a major catastrophe, I don't know, like just, just died in a good old age. Like that's, that seems to be a good way to go. But the fact of the matter is, even with a godly man like Abraham, even with a man that we've, we've walked with for, for months now of looking at his life and all the things that God's done through him and the way that he acted with integrity um, in so many situations and so many things and how godly of a man he was and even a man who was called and chosen by God, singled out, here's still what happened in his life. He died. He died. And you know What? Most likely, unless Jesus comes back, that's what's going to happen with all of us too. We're going to die. Scripture records like two men that it says, and they, then they were taken to be with God and they were no more. That they, they weren't, the, these like two men out of all of history did not die. Other than that, death rate, right around 100%. All right? And so if you think like, well, that, that doesn't really apply to me. Where, where does this passage apply to me? Right there. This is in your future. Death. Coming. Some point. Don't know when, but coming. Right? And we, we laugh because we're like, that's really awkward to say, Wayne. Well, yeah, but it's the truth, right? Like that's, that's what happens to us as humans. The effects of sin is death. And we all have sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we're all going to die. This is what's, what's going to happen. So if you, if you don't, uh, didn't know that, I'm here to let you know that this is a, a high possibility for you in your future, that this will happen. And the thing is, with that, we can see through Scripture that that's not the end. And in fact, even though this here in Genesis is kind of the end of Abraham's record of, of his life here in Genesis, um, in the future, we still see more of Abraham in Scripture. And, and so I want us to look at that uh, now. Let's jump over to Luke. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells us this story 
in which Abraham is a key figure in the story. And so in Luke chapter 16, starting um, in verse 19, it says this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so here we have Abraham preaching the gospel of Easter. We have Jesus giving this account of of the rich man and Lazarus, and um, it's very clear that Abraham, after he died in Genesis 25, that's not the end of Abraham. He's now in this place, and if I can if I can get a little deeper with with you guys on some of this, like this place is this passage is very key in understanding a lot of what happens after death. Like one of the questions we have is like, well, what, what's next? What's after this? Um, when I was a youth pastor, we, we did a, a curriculum um, based on this and it was called, uh, so you're dead, now what? Um, <laughs> some people found that a little in your face, but I was like, well, it makes them think. So, uh, but, but yeah, so you're dead, now what? What's, what's next? Well, we can see here in this passage, what's next at this point in time? There's this place, I believe that this place that's being described here, including both where the man is in torment and where he can see on the other side of the chasm, I believe this place to be what the Old Testament refers to as Sheol. Um, and in Sheol, I think a good translation, that some have translated that, that word as hell or Hades. Um, I don't think that's the best translation of that word because I think it does include the half of the place where, where Abraham is at this point. So I think a better translation of that word is just the land of the dead. And in the land of the dead, or in Sheol, we have these two sides with a chasm between them. 
On one side, you have Abraham, where Abraham is. And here in this passage, it's referred to, um, in the ESV, it says Abraham's side. Those of you from a, a King James background, be familiar with Abraham's bosom. Um, but I, I guess bosom got weird for people, so they started calling it Abraham's side. I don't know. Um, but this place, the place with Abraham is where you want to be, is the point. You want to be where Abraham is. And even this rich man who had all of the wealth and everything in the world, but yet he, he did not have hope for the future, ended up in this, the other side, on the other side of the chasm. And he's in a place of torment. And I've heard people say, um, you know, they, they start to understand the gospel. They start to understand the reality of what's after this life. And because they love someone so much who's already passed, who did not have the hope of the gospel, They'll say, well, but yeah, I want to go where they are. I love them so much, I want to be where they are. Well, listen to this passage, if that's your argument, if that's where you are in your life. If that is where they are, they are like the rich man, and they are crying out, please don't come here if they love you. They do not want you to join them, because it is not a good place, and it is not a place you want to be. And so if that is your hold up on coming to Jesus, let go of it, because the person that you love and that you care about would want nothing more than for you to not be in that place. All right? And I'm, I'm sorry if this is a little forceful, this is a little in your face, but it's the truth, and that's, that's hopefully why you came today is for the truth. Um, and so we see in this passage this place, and there's, there's the good place with Abraham. And then on the other side of the chasm, there's... there's torment in a way that we cannot even fathom. And the guy's crying out. He's like, hey, just go tell my family. If somebody that would just rise from the dead and go tell them, then they would change their life and they would come to God and then they would get to be with you after they die. And Abraham says, no, even if someone were to rise from the dead, they would not believe. And how true is that? Because we're gathered here today based on the very fact that, yes, a man did rise from the dead. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who died in our place, the one who paid the price for sin on the cross, and he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. So I ask you, are you one of the people that Abraham's talking about, that even though you're confronted with that fact, you walk away from it and say, eh, I don't really care. Or you walk away from it and say, I don't really believe that. You're like, well, Wayne, where's the proof? Where's the proof that he rose from the dead? Well, right here, we can read about it. You're like, well, yeah, but that could have been fabricated, fabricated or whatever. Okay, all right, let's go there. Um, so we have eyewitness testimony. How do we know anything from history? Eyewitness testimony. That's how we know what happened. They wrote it down for us. How do we know anything from anywhere in the world? By someone seeing it and telling us, right? If you can't witness it yourself, you have to have to trust and believe someone else's testimony. Well, there's overwhelming testimony to the fact of these men, the disciples and others saying, hey, we saw the risen Lord. We saw Jesus. He came back to life. 
He is alive today. And there's testimony stands. that stands firm. And you say, yeah, Wayne, but, but I don't know if you know this, but people lie. Okay, good point. People do lie. This is true. But usually, people lie when they stand to benefit from the lie. Okay? Let's, let's do a case and study here in the room right now, okay? How many of you lie on your taxes so that you can pay more taxes? How, how many of you declare that you earn more than you made just so you can pay more? Anybody? No, right? Because that does not benefit you. Now, I'm not going to ask for truth on if you lie to get more back, um, but people do that, right? We know that people do that. But why? Because they stand to benefit from that lie. So these men each went basically to their death, stating that Jesus rose from the dead. And in fact, most of them were killed for saying Jesus rose from the dead. So as far as an earthly reward system, there wasn't much in it for them, right? As far as earthly standards, their lives got a lot worse by sticking to this message, by saying, yes, this is what happened. They were beaten, they were flogged, like dragged into prison, executed. Peter, I mean, he, he too was hung on a cross and he said, hey, I'm not worthy to, to die in the way that Jesus died. Hang me upside down. And that's how he, he chose to die because he didn't find himself to even be worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did. Now that doesn't, that doesn't say to me, hey, this is a guy that's just making up a story, right? This, that says to me, this is a guy that knows this to be true, and because this is true, he knows that he has hope after this life. And because this is true, he has rewards beyond this life. And so, yes, by sticking to this truth and proclaiming this truth, then, yes, it's worth whatever this, this life can throw at him. And that's what, what tells me that, yes, this is a true thing. Jesus did rise from the dead. And so my question for you is, what do you do with that? Do you believe that? Is your life changed by that? Do you know him to be your Lord and Savior? Have you asked him to take your sin, the sin that you have accrued on your account, and put it on the cross and say, I have paid it in full? Because he will do that. You just have to ask him. And when he does that, our response is a life of gratitude, a life of, of yes, Lord. What do you want from me? How do, I, how do I give my life a response to this great thing that you've done for me? My life should be changed. I should walk away anew, afresh, different than I was before. It's not a situation where we just say, hey, I'm good at sinning. He's good at forgiving. We got a good arrangement, so I'm going to do my thing. He's going to do his thing, and we keep doing our things, right? No, we, we say, yes, I am good at sinning, and I hate it. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, take that away, make me whole again. And then when he does that, we don't say, hey, I want to be like a, a dog returning to its vomit and keep doing the same thing over again. I want to live anew. I want to live changed. I want to live in a way that brings glory to God. 
Because death is not the end. And Jesus is the answer. And even in this, this picture of what, what Lazarus and the rich man and Abraham here, we're confronted with this truth. And so my question for you today is what do you do with that? What is your hope in? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the power of his resurrection? Do you believe? If so, that's excellent. If so, we know that we have hope for the future. We, we have hope beyond this life. Good things are to come. If not, it doesn't look good for you. And so just as, as we all know that death is coming, we can all know that after death there's one of two options. And that destination is sealed and is determined by our choice in this life of what we do with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The only way to that good place where Abraham is, is through Jesus. That's the only way. So I invite you to Jesus. I invite you to the fact that he is the way to what is good beyond this life. Believe in Jesus. Come to him as your Lord and Savior. Now, I want to dig a little deeper for those of us that like to go a little bit deeper now, okay? So if, if, if that was a good stopping place for this sermon for you, then you can just tune me out, all right? I give you permission. You can zone out, focus on that, pray to God about that, focus there. But for those of you that want a little bit more, I want, to, I want us to dig a little bit more this morning, okay? Can we do that? All right. Um, so let's think about this. We've got this account of Abraham, Lazarus, and the rich man in this kind of picture of the land of the dead, um, as I called it earlier. Um, but, but a question a lot of us have, especially this time of year, I get a lot of questions about uh, the, the sequence of Holy Week, right? Of, of what happened when, when did Jesus have, you know, the Lord's Supper, and that was on Thursday. When was he... Um, put on trial. That was Thursday night into Friday morning. When was he put on the cross? Friday morning. When did he die? Before sundown on Friday. Um, but what happened Saturday? Where was Jesus Saturday? And this is a question that, that is really interesting to dig into. Um, because we have in 1 Peter uh, 3, um, says this, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's the gospel we were just talking about. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, when the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought through safely through water. All right? So I think what Peter is saying here is what Jesus did on Saturday. I think Jesus is saying that, Je that when he was in the grave, obviously he was separated from his earthly body. His body was dead. But just like us, that's not the end. The soul, the spirit goes on. I believe that he went in, that, in the spirit, as it says here, and he preached to those who were in the land of the dead, in this place where, where we saw Abraham. 
Now, some have taken that and they've said, well, Jesus ascended into hell, which again, that goes back to the translation of that word. That's why I don't like that translation of that word, because that gives the connotation that went, Jesus went and suffered further, right? That he went and was, was in, the, in a place of being tormented for that day. I don't think that's what was happening. I think he was in a place of authority in that place, and he was preaching the full gospel to those that had come before. Hey, I think he was pointing to the fact of, hey, look, here's what I'm doing, and you're right in the middle of it. Tomorrow, I'm rising from the dead. I believe that's where Jesus was on that Saturday. Um, Further with that, after Jesus rises from the dead, um, in John 20, uh, we have this account where he's he's talking to, to Mary. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Okay? So if he's not yet ascended to the Father, where was he? I think he was in this place, this place that was separated from where God is, from where God the Father is. He says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. There's again, eyewitness testimony for you. Mary Magdalene saying, hey, this is true. This is what I've seen. Um, And so... uh, We see here, so he's not ascended to the Father yet, but he's gone somewhere. Peter's talking about he was preaching um, to the saints from from before, to those that have have gone before. Um, So I think he was in this place of the land of the dead. But this gives us even more questions, if we really think about it, uh, that honestly, Scripture's not completely clear on, okay? Um, Because when, because our, our question that we're ultimately trying to answer is what happens to us when we die right now? Where do we go, right? Um, Is it this same Abraham's bosom place or is it different? And I think somewhere in there, it might've been the moment he rose from the dead, something changed. Because where did Jesus go at that point after he, he ascended? Where did he ascend to? He ascended to the Father and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So no longer is he in a separate place, but he's at the right hand of the Father now. And scripture's pretty clear. Um, uh, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians talks about to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So for the Christian, that means that when we leave this body, we get to go be with him. We get to be in the presence of Christ. We get to be in, in that place. In the book of Revelation, it, it, it paints the picture, and, and in the picture of, of what's going on in heaven, there's this, this place under the throne of God where those who have been killed for the faith, those who their life have, has been taken for saying that Jesus rose from the dead, a special place from them where they are, they're all together under the throne and they're crying out, God, how much longer? How much longer are we going to wait? How much longer are we going to wait? And his answer is basically, until all my people are ready. But with that answer, what, what are they ultimately asking for? They're asking for, when is Jesus going to come back? Because that's what our hope is in as a Christian, is not just in his death, not just in his resurrection, but in his promise that he's coming again for us. And when he comes again for us, Scripture is clear that he's, he's going to raise those of us who are his to life. He's going to raise us to eternal life in a place where there is no more sin, there is no more pain, there is no more heartache, there's no, none of that is left. 
And if we're in Christ Jesus, if we belong to him, then we get to be with him for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth, a new place, a new creation that's not tainted by sin, that's not corrupted. And so for the early Christians, that's ultimately what they were looking forward to. And they didn't know when this was going to happen because the expectation of a Christ follower is it can happen any moment. We should be ready for that to happen right now. Our desire and our heart should be that, yes, Jesus, come now. Not, hey, can you wait a little bit? I got a few things in my life I want to do before you get here. Like, no, if you're a Christ follower, it's I want it now. I want you now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But the fact is, is when he comes, he's also not just going to raise those of us who are his, who belong to him, to live for eternal life. But he's also going to raise those who stand in contradiction to him. Those who haven't placed their faith in him. And the outlook for those is not as good So while there's a little ambiguity in Scripture about what happens right at the moment we die, it is crystal clear on what happens at the moment that Jesus comes back. Because he judges the living and the dead. And one option in that is this, in Revelation chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne from him who was seated on it. That's Jesus. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they have done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so I I offer that to you this morning as a warning. That this is what's to come. Just as we should all expect death, we should all expect Jesus to return and when he does, he's going to judge. And he's going to judge based on, on our, our lives. And if we're honest, our lives don't measure up to God's per- perfection. The only way that we can be forgiven is for our name to be written in that Lamb's book of life. And the only way that your name is written in that Lamb's book of life is if you have called on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and asked him to forgive you of your sins. So again, I ask you, what do you do with the truth of Jesus Christ and what he has done? Because he is risen. He is risen. You you can talk back. He is risen. So based on that, where are you going for eternity? I'm planning on being with him. And I hope you are as well. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you sent your one and only son, Jesus. 
We thank you that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he did not owe the price of sin. He did not owe the price of death, but yet he paid it. And he paid it on our behalf. He paid it in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with you, so that we can be restored to you for all eternity. Lord, I pray for everyone here that they will have that hope, that they will, they will know you as their Lord and Savior. Pray for anyone joining us online, that they will have that hope, that they'll know you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, as people who have been purchased by the blood of your Son, Lord, let us be faithful to you. Let us live our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to your name and points others to that truth, the truth of the resurrected Jesus. And it's all by your grace. It's nothing that we do to earn it, but it's all by the grace that you so freely give to us. We lift all this up in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.